will try in this presentation to uh, present uh, a number of quotes that I have taken, some from the very informative uh, Chinese uh, State Oceanic Administration annual report, and some others which are uncredited from the talks that uh, together with my associate for these two-year studies that we are conducting on Chinese maritime policies, uh, we have conducted uh, in China. And we have heard earlier that China is the largest propaganda machine in the world, so we may have been completely intoxicated, it is very possible. But on the other hand, I believe that there is some food for, for thought in, in the quotes that we have collected on the one hand, and, uh, and on the other hand, in this very informative State Oceanic Administration report. So obviously, we start with the pessimistic view that China is getting stronger and stronger, and that its presence in the South China Sea is becoming uh, more frightening to the other claimants who are not strong enough anyway to resist China. And China started its occupation using force. But on the other hand, it is interesting to see that China has not used force since 1988, uh, or at least the, the lethal force that was used at the time against the Vietnamese, and that in the 2002 declaration of the Code of Conduct, China has renounced, as the other parties, the, the, the use of force. So, first of all, why the South China Sea issue is so important? Why is the South China Sea is so important to China? You know, this is a question that we could ask ourselves, because there is the economic view that we've heard earlier of the neighboring countries. But it's rather different because it's, a, it's an area which was not economically so important in the past when China was already claiming uh, this area, claiming when France became the colonial power in Indochina. And by the way, it is interesting to see that France at the beginning seemed to acknowledge the Chinese sovereignty, and then France, using uh, Vietnamese claims, uh, took possession of the islands. But actually, when France did so, the purpose was to prevent Japan. And in the end, Japan prevailed, as we know, in 1939. And then we had the, 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 the nationalist uh, retaking of Wu's island uh, and with the expedition of the Taiping. But what is very important is to see, uh, and I, I, this quote I thought was very interesting, that China nowadays is a prisoner of the Guomintang uh, 11 dash or 9 dash uh, line. You know, this was a decision taken by the, the Guomintang. And as one uh, scholar explained to us, uh, we the, the, the People's Republic of China cannot do less than the Kuomintang, you know. So if China suddenly abandons this claim, you know, it, any Chinese leader will go down in history as the one who has renounced uh, historical rise, national interest. 
So it was interesting that one suggested that we would have to wait for an even stronger China, which is actually the fear of all the neighbors, for China perhaps to uh, change this uh, claim for the Nandashan. If we look at the strategic importance of the South China Sea, this is another quote, uh, it is interesting to see that for China, the South China Sea, as it is written there, is central, has become central to Chinese national strategy. Because nowadays, the threat is no longer on the Russian border uh, as it used to be. And, and, and China has had, or at least is presenting to the world, this view that the, the, the threat, the challenge, comes from the sea, and that there is this U.S. presence uh, on its shores, which is considered as the major, the major threat. So this can be used as propaganda for justification, but it is uh, a very common perception. And then there is this issue which was mentioned earlier of the South China Sea becoming um, a, a strategic bastion for uh, Chinese SSBN force. And as we know, the, S the Chinese SSBN force for a very long time uh, was not really, uh, didn't have really credibility with only one very noisy SSBN. In recent years, China has acquired four or five new SSBNs, but they are still considered uh, as noisy. But China is making a lot of progresses. And China is, uh, in the future, uh, announcing that it will have a much quieter uh, submarine. So actually, this is probably true. The South China Sea is becoming very important for the, the Chinese uh, strategic deterrence. I would say that China already has a very strong deterrent with all its land-based missile. But as we know, uh, the sea deterrent is the more survivable. So we see, if we look at the State Oceanic Administration annual report, this State Oceanic Administration report in 2016, so actually uh, written more than a year ago, was stating as that the, the, the issues in the South China Sea were becoming more severe because precisely of this outside US intervention, because of the fact that the Philippines had used the arbitration, etc. And so that there was this risk of internationalization. So this is the, the Chinese position that there is a kind of a, the, 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 the danger because external actors are playing with this. And we've had those very spectacular uh, land reclamation in 2013-14. So again, it is interesting to see the justification. Justification, on the one hand, is and was at the time the negotiation between the US and the Philippines for a return of the United States in the Philippines with military bases. So this was the, the, the justification. And we can see with those two maps, on the one hand, where the US Air Force could be based in the future. And on the other hand, the potential for what China did creating uh, de facto uh, air bases in, in the South China Sea. So how actually China could 
balance the, the a U.S. return with those air bases. And actually, it is interesting because those land reclamation are giving China an option to uh, have a military solution if indeed the U.S. were sending planes to the Philippines. But on the other hand, it's interesting also in our conversation to realize that some were saying that it was important for China to have a more secure uh, position in the South China Sea because for a very, very long time, actually, China didn't have much of a say in front of Malaysia, in front of the other actors who had been and who had much better positions in the South China Sea. And then this US-China confrontation in the South China Sea, of course, the Chinese position, the US conducts FONOPS in the South China Sea, in essence, to spy on us. So actually, this is a resentment and actually the disagreement in the interpretation on UNCLOSE uh, between the two articles, the one which gives freedom of navigation, obviously, in the EZ or, well, of course, South China Sea, we don't have that issue, but freedom of navigation anyway uh, to warships, and on the other hand, uh, inimical activities, and spying, obviously, is considered as inimical. But on the other hand, uh, we see that China, as a reaction, is developing is military might, its sea power. Of course, the Chinese perspective on this is that China is not becoming a sea power like the nasty Western sea powers, which were hegemonic by nature, when China is becoming a strong maritime country, uh, which, and that does not imply hegemony, you know, so which, which is also interesting in the local context of the South China Sea. But indeed, if we look at what's happening, China is building up an extraordinary navy in a very short time. You know, in the past 15 years, China has completed 50 major surface ships. Not only the refurbished uh, Ukrainian aircraft carrier, but also uh, nearly 50 destroyers, frigates, all equipped with uh, anti-air missiles, long-range anti-ship missiles, good anti-submarine capability. So it's a complete change from the old Chinese Navy. So the new Chinese Navy is able to sail across the famous First Island chain and have, uh, have a good air defense uh, capability, which did not exist before. So, and China is also, at this moment, improving its capabilities uh, for domain uh, awareness in the South China Sea. So the State Oceanic Administration actually is doing it for all kinds of good reasons which are related precisely to weather condition, climate, oceanographic condition, but of course oceanographic condition that also refers to submarines. So China is also improving its tools to much better understand what is happening in the South China Sea. Of course, South China Sea is a place for uh, other submarines to come. So what is the long-term vision? Uh, so this, uh, what is the, I, I would say the roots of Chinese behavior. Is it a long-term vision as it is, I would say, as it was my impression, I must say, or is it a reactive policy which is sensitive to external factors? 
So I say, I would say long-term vision, because if you see all the chronology, you know, of the, the, the day when, when trying to identify when the decision was taken to make China a strong maritime country, you know, and if you, uh, here, here you have a quote from the State <laughs> of Russian Administration report, you see the chronology uh, from 1992, from the, the, the importance of the maritime rights, uh, the National Maritime Development Plan of 1995, <coughs> the, nine, the nine five year plans uh, with long term objectives for 2010 of 1996. You see, you see that China uh, was seeing that it was very important to improve precisely its oceanic dimension. So, this is not new, it is at least. 20 years old, and, and, and this has been going on and unfolding with many directions, including in shipbuilding, when China became the largest, greatest shipbuilder in the world in 2009. But what is, but on the other hand, when you are interviewing people, people are telling you the opposite. They are telling you our policy is defensive and reactive because we don't act as a power in the US sense. We react. And because of that situation, the famous uh, Thucydides trap, you know, China is saying that it is just reacting to US pressure. And again, the quote, our concern is domestic. We want to preserve what we consider as the domestic order. The US concern is the international order to preserve their hegemony. So actually, this is how China will depict, or some in China will depict, the current situation. And if we look at the development of the Navy, I was convinced personally that it was a very long-term plan, you know, which started with Liu, Liu Huaqing, was 1985, with the first island chain, second island chain. But then uh, people in China were saying that this is the opposite. Uh, this is actually uh, a reaction again. Uh, and among the factors, of course, the Taiwan crisis, but also uh, the, the Belgrade bombing, which perhaps justified the decision for aircraft carriers. And the air-sea battle of 2009 and the pivot of the Obama administration at the time, which apparently justified the new uh, cruiser that China is building, the Euro 55. So of course, China has uh, we've been trying to understand the decision-making process on maritime policies, of course, Central National Party Group, but also 2013, the maritime, the, the creation of the maritime rights small leading group for those issues, and of course, the central role of the State Oceanic Administration for drafting laws. And you see how sophisticated the Chinese system is for uh, promulgating uh, laws and regulations, but with all kinds of difficulties, cooperation between the ministries, the fact that the, the Coast Guards are under the State Oceanic Administration, but that the Chief of the Coast Guard has the highest uh, rank than the Chief of the State Oceanic Administration. So you, you do see that it's a very complex system that China is building for its oceanic dimension. And on the South China Sea, uh, we had the impression that it was not so important economically. But in the recent times, again, looking and reading the State Oceanic Administration report, we see that it is indeed important. 
fishery resources, certainly, oil and gas, new discoveries, uh, new research and surveys by China, more recently, the flammable ice in the South China Sea. So there is actually, there are resources which are important for China. And <coughs> now, what could be the solution? What we hear from the Chinese side is that there could be a combination of the famous joint development and the one band one road. And the argument which is made by many in China is that anyway, it is very important for China to uh, bring the One Belt, One Road in the South China Sea context and seek uh, trust and confidence with the neighbors in order to move. But is it just wishful thinking or is it real? We have to note that the President Xi uh, initiated the one, well, the one Belt, One Road in Indonesia, uh, which was certainly not a neutral decision. So could it be the, the solution? So China is also giving credit to the bilateral approach. And he is saying that South Korea has been uh, an example. So I don't know uh, much about the negotiation that has been taking place between South Korea and China. But China is saying that this is a successful bilateral negotiation. And China is also crediting at this time President Duterte, we, who, as we know, uh, <laughs> didn't play on the uh, arbitration card. But of course, this is, could be temporary. So uh, finally, on the phone ops, uh, I would like to conclude just to show that um, the United States has a matter of principle for a very long time. I've practiced have practiced uh, freedom of navigation operations. But probably an interesting solution, perhaps, to diffuse the tension would be not to make them public. So the United States would continue to conduct the fun ops as usual, as they do everywhere on the, on the globe, but they would not report them in the media. That could be uh, a deconflicting solution. Well, thank you for your attention. <coughs>